Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hi guys, hope you're well. I just want to quickly run through the itinerary of today's episode. Um, we're joined by special guest Jonathan Liu of The Guardian. Um, we spoke about major issues um, highlighted this week, such as the agents versus clubs. Um, Minorola had a little spat with old Solskjaer, then he went on TalkSport during the week and had a um, loggerheads with um, Jim White, so we spoke about that. We then spoke about Barcelona being granted special permission by the Liga to buy an emergency striker outside of the transfer window. So um, we had a deep dive regarding that situation. We then went into um, Jonathan Liu's career. Um, you know, he was previously at the Independent before moving on to the Guardian. So we went into that in further detail. Um, we then went on to the special of a new section where we discuss FC Porto striker Marega, um, who was racially abused um, last weekend. So we touched on that. We then spoke about Saturday's PL results, in particular with the headlining fixtures of Chelsea versus Tottenham, as well as Leicester versus Man City. We then went into um, the preview of the Sunday fixture, the biggest fixture of the day, which was Everton and Arsenal, as this was recorded earlier in the day. So we gave our thoughts on, you know, what would happen in that game. We then previewed the Monday night football where Liverpool faced West Ham. Stay tuned. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. I'm your host, Tunj. I'm on hosting duty today as Budge is unavailable, so I'm stepping in. I'm joined by three heavyweights of the footballing <laughs> game. <laughs> we've got Dej, we've got Dot. What are you saying, Tunj? And we've also got former chief sport writer at The Independent. We've got the current sports writer at The Guardian. Also, um, I don't know if this is just speculation, but apparently... They say he's also the Lionel Messi of writing. <laughs> yeah, you hear that a lot. 
without further ado, I introduce to the platform, Jonathan Liu. Welcome, 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 welcome. Extremely, welcome. extremely kind of you. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, the Messi of sports writing is 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 quite a boast. Like uh, like Messi, I suppose I have only the most basic understanding of tax law. <laughs> <laughs> Hope I don't butcher some justice with that intro. Yeah, yeah. usually the <laughs> he goes off on a on a serious tangent when he's giving the introduction, but hopefully I done done butch proud there. Obviously, just very quickly before we kick off, I just want to shout out um, Johnny because some of your writing is amazing. And I remember a piece um, what included Serena Williams and Osaka son in the um, US Open final. And before reading that, I had a perception that Serena Williams was just, oh, like, just moaning. But when I read it, it gave me a new perspective and that was just an amazing piece. That's yeah. really kind, thanks. And I think that's what the best writers have a quality to do. You go into, you know, reading something and you think one way mm. and it alter your perception. And I think that's what it's all about. And, you know, you're hugely respected in the writing fraternity. Everyone we speak to, you know, they say, you know, wonderful things about you. Definitely. Also, when we see you on the Sunday supplement as well, <laughs> yeah. we, enjoy, we enjoy when you put in your pieces. So, yeah, anytime when Sunday supplement and say Jonathan Lou's on, we're like, yep, I'm definitely yeah. watching yeah. or listening to this episode. That's for sure. No, that's a lot to live up to. So I'm, I'm going to try my best. <laughs> So let's get straight into it, boys. Um, we're going to talk about um, a, the past week. We had um, agent versus club issues with Raola and mm. Shoshka. You know, Raola called out Shoshka and said Pogba is not owned by United and Shoshka hit back. And then Raola went um, on to talk sport the following day mm. to speak with Jim White, where they had um, they came to loggerhead, should I say. Mm. Simon Jordan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what's, what's your take on that, boys? Yeah, I think um, we're seeing this a lot now, you know, pundits calling out you know agents and especially with uh, Mino Raiola but I think some of it is okay some of it's unjust because when we look at the job that Raiola's done you know with Paul Pogba he's got him lucrative moves and that's the name of the game for agent you're meant to look after the needs of your player but also I like to say he's done a good job with um, Haaland at Dortmund as well because he was a player that could have went to Manchester United but he managed to get him a move to Dortmund and insert you know, a £60 million release clause which benefits the player. So in my opinion, some of the um, criticism is, is unjust of Mino Raiola. Dots, what's your take on that? Um, to be honest, I know a lot of people are saying that you know Man United should cut their ties with Mino Raiola but I'm of the opinion that if you've got such a high profile in the game and you've got such an amazing list of clientele, teams are always going to want your talent because someone like Mino Raiola, he's going to have the next big thing consistently. And if you like blacklist him, it's, it's only going to be bad for Man United, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's he's, he's obviously a legendary... He's, he's got a legendary roster. If you, if you look at some of the guys he worked with, you know, in, in the past, you know, uh, Balotelli... Uh, he still still represents Ibrahimovic, and he's got the young guys coming through like Harlan and and, and Delict, and Jesse Lingard. I think has has just signed up with him as well. Mm-hmm. He's he's a guy that 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 you need to know and you need to be doing business with. I think if you, if you put this into the context of how players used to get treated by clubs, clubs would try and hoodwink, especially young players. They would they would try and get them over a barrel. They would they would try and do deals with them without their agent in the room, uh, even and and players who should be the stars of this game, who should be the most richly rewarded people yeah, in yeah. the game. Not not owners, not coaches, not speculators. Uh, the, the players are the stars of this. And if, if the agents are playing their role in, in getting these guys a fair cut of what they're worth, then 
then they're doing their job. And, you know, people talk about the amount that Rayola got paid for the Pogba transfer, for example. But that is the market rate for, for making a transfer happen that very few other people could have made happen. And where I think Rayola is very different to a lot of the other agents is that he he has become something of a brand in himself. Mm-hmm. And and if you're a if you're a player like Lingard or or Pogba and your agent is having a very public spat with your manager, uh you 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 kind of you've been put in a bit of an invidious position there because your loyalties are are sort of split and do you want your agent putting your you're putting you in that kind of position where you're having to choose your loyalties between your coach and your agent? So uh, I think you know there's a lot to be said about agents in the game, but Rayola in, in particular is a guy that you you kind of either love or you hate, and and, and he's he's very divisive for that reason. Johnny, just a very quick question to you, like like it seems that everyone can have an opinion on on a player, except for the player's agent. What's what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, anybody can have a anybody can have an opinion on a player, and obviously the agent is often not just the representative, the legal representative, but they they're the guy who knows the player best. Mm. They are they are mentors. They they help them out you know, logistically in terms of settling into a new country, um, and obviously they you know they are entitled to their opinion on their player. They're entitled to speak about the player, but you have to also be aware of what their interests are. Everybody's talking with a motive, and agents, I guess, are no different. Okay, thanks for that, boys. Okay, so we'll move on to um, the next topic. Um, again, another interesting one. Um, Barcelona, the team we are speaking about for this situation. As you know, they were granted special, special circumstances to sign outside of the transfer window, which is a <laughs> very weird one, if I'm being honest, <laughs> considering the transfer window is closed. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, I was I was baffled by this. Um Let's be honest, Real Madrid and Barcelona, they monopolised the La Liga. And I think if that was any other club, bar those two, they wouldn't be granted these special, you know, privileges to sign a player outside of the window. Apparently, there's a rule in Spain that if you have a player that's out for more than five or six months, you can provide a document which states you can sign someone from the same league or, or the league below. Do you feel that like if a Getafe, you know, put forward this document, they'll get the special privilege that Barcelona had? I'm not, I'm not convinced. I think if it's a rule, it's a rule, to be honest. I think that will be allowed. But because obviously it's Barcelona or Real Madrid, it's a much more high profile case. I understand it. But now you've, you know, curtailed the chances of Leganes. They're, they're fighting relegation. Braithwaite is one of their main players. And you've now you, you're stealing them from him and they can't sign. They can't retire. That's for me, it's a joke. Of course, I disagree with the rule as well. And in January, um, they lost one of their players to um, Sevilla as well. But I was speaking to our Spanish expert and he said that, um, you know, Barcelona understand that it's not fair on Leganes, but that's the rule. Rules are rule. They feel like they need a replacement and that's what they've done. And as you alluded to, there's been a ruling, I think in 2015, which means that Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico get the lion's share of the, you know, broadcast money. And, you know, this just shows that the league, to be honest, it's brought the league into disrepute, in my opinion, because you're not giving a team a chance that should have one. But rules are rule at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, a, a rule's a rule, but this rule is specifically... Uh, it's specifically going to benefit the bigger clubs because of the way that the, the Spanish transfer system works, where everybody, every player has a release clause, yeah. which is often, you know, extremely high, you know, much higher than their, than their market value, whatever that is. And the, the team, the, the teams that are, are able to pay that release clause um, 
are going to have a massive advantage when mm. it comes to making emergency signings because they're the ones who can afford it. I mean, theoretically, everyone gets the same charge. It's the same rule for everyone. But Leganes, if they have a striker crisis and they've got a striker <laughs> who's injured for five months, it's going to go to Barcelona. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll just take Griezmann. We'll, <laughs> we'll just take Griezmann to the end of the season, please. Uh, like, I don't know what his, his release clause is. So it's it's clearly an unequal rule uh, and it's something, I mean, I, I don't know how long it's been in, but it's, it's clearly something that, that has been brought in to benefit clubs like Barcelona who, who can then essentially paper over the the massive mistakes they've made in the recruitment in, in, over the last two seasons. Yeah, and apparently they were meant to be signing, I think they were linked with signing Rodrigo from Valencia. They were meant to sign Cedric Bakambu. But also for me, this um, raises wider implications. This blocks the path of, you know, youngsters coming through the academy. Why do you have to, you know, spend the money? Because we know in the next 12 to 18 months, Braithwaite, he's not really going to play for Barcelona, is he? Yeah, he, I mean... Just a bit of a stopgap. What happens in short the summer? Time, yeah. yeah, what happens, in, like, say, say they... Well, Suarez might be fit in the summer, they might, they might sign someone else, and... Then Braithwaite is just kind of dis- disposable, and that's kind of how footballers are, are seen in in this market. That I think you're right. There is a wider issue there in that talent is is almost seen as as disposable, something that you can just pick up and discard whenever you, you see fit. And there's a human at, at, at the centre of this who gets to play for Barcelona and then has, a, has an extremely uncertain future afterwards. Yeah, it's very very unfair. Um, it's, it's strange, but it seems there's a definite hierarchy mm. in in spain where they only benefit the big clubs and it seems the smaller clubs can't really get a look in but again that's spain and that's where we are at the moment but we're just going to take it right back to um a bit more about you jonathan um so of course we know that you're a former chief, um, chief sports writer at the independent and now you're currently one of the main sports writers at the guardian um now we just want to get into a bit how that came about how did you get into the independent and eventually move on to the guardian how did that pave out for you yeah, um, well, I, before the Independent, which I, I joined in late uh, 2017, uh, I was at the, the Daily Telegraph for about seven, seven or eight years. Um, so I, I, that's where I started. I came out of university uh, and then went on the, the, the Telegraph's graduate scheme, started out as like the junior sports writer. Doing... If I can just stop you there, what uni did you go just in case anyone wants to follow in your footsteps? Uh, university of Edinburgh. Okay, cool. Um, and if you, if, you, if you also want to go to Edinburgh and, and do, do, <laughs> do, do, abs- do absolutely zero work, do zero work for four years and write a few like funny things for the, for the student newspaper, uh, that's a career path I could heartily recommend. Um, so yeah, I started out, you know, basically the, the office junior at, at the Telegraph, uh, doing like I think like League One. I did League One games, and then and then eventually moved up to Championship games, and then was doing sort of you know um, lower 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 end of the table Premier League games, and uh, basically just sort of worked my way through, uh, and doing other sports as well. I mean, I, I I think I counted it up the other day. If you if you include all the silly little Olympic sports, I've done thirty six different sports wow. over the course of my career, and. Uh, what what they say about being a jack of all trades uh, and a master of none? That's probably that's probably me. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's, and then um, three three yeah, three three years ago, just under three years ago, I went to the Independent um, after the, the Telegraph was sort of morphing into a slightly different place to the one I joined. Cool. Politically, I think. Right. Okay. Cool. And how you find it now at the Guardian? Oh, it's 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 great. It's I mean, like I was I was saying to you to you off air earlier, it's it's um. It's a very different rhythm because the independent now is is a fully 
uh, online operation it's it's all about the website and it's quite a small team it's got the feel of an internet startup whereas the guardian obviously still has a newspaper and still runs along you know newspaper lines so you've got word count you've got deadlines you've got um you know sub editors who who kind of proof your proof your writing um so that's been a different rhythm to get into but it's a great place i mean it's 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 just it's great to work somewhere that you 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 truly believe in and i've always i've always been a guardian reader i've always kind of bought into the guardian ethos and there are just so many talented people working there from Mm. from the you know the production staff to the designers to the you know the editors and and people working on the other sections of the paper so it's 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 really inspiring place for me to work Mm, so taking it even further back how did you fall in love with football gosh well (laughs) that's a that's a big question I, i mean i the first season i remember was the first premier league season 92 93 okay uh, but yeah, I, I was born actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did a talk with some some kids recently, um, and they I asked them what their first memory was, and they were like, "Oh, Euro two thousand and four, a miracle of Istanbul." And one of them's like, "The miracle of Istanbul was the first game I watched, but I had to go to bed at half time." I was like, "That makes me feel so old." But yeah, it was the, it was the early nineties. Uh, I think there was a big sort of footballing boom in England around that around that time, just off the back of the 90 World Cup at the start of the Premier League. You all see the stadiums, you had money pouring in. And it was it was a really uh it was a really fun time to get to be getting into football. Um you, you had foreigners in the in in the Premier League for in big numbers for the first time. Um you had uh you, you had you had guys like Janino and, and Ravinelli coming in and playing mm, play yeah. for teams like Middlesbrough. Um and you know, and then there was Euro '96, which is the first kind of big tournament uh, I remember. Which uh, that probably that probably captured my imagination more than anything. This idea that football, uh, when when it's done right, it it totally it brings people together, and it can bring entire nations together. It bonds communities. It, it puts a smile on people's faces. Mm. Uh, and to to a child, that's an incredibly powerful thing because you're used to seeing grown ups kind of walking around with like frowns and and they've got deadlines and got bills to pay. <laughs> and, and football seemed to bring grown ups out in something totally different. And that, I wanted a part of that. It's very very good to hear. Okay, so um, just before we get into the EPL um, games of Saturday, um, I just wanted to quickly speak about some other news as well. Um, last Sunday, FC Porto striker Marega was subject to uh, racial abuse and it came out late last Sunday, um, who then he wanted to walk off the pitch and these players were stopping him. He ultimately got a yellow card from the ref as well, which was, was lost for words, if I'm being honest. Um What's your take on that? Because it seems you know the racism card rears its ugly head again. For me, it's it's disgusting. I think those were some of the worst scenes I've personally seen on a football pitch. Um, he was racially antagonised consistently throughout the game by the fans, and he actually scored the goal. And when he was celebrating the goal, they were throwing missiles at him. I mean, they were taking off chairs and chucking it at him, and it must have been an ordeal. It's like it's nasty scenes and. You want to walk off the pitch and your own teammates are strangling you by the neck saying, no, you're not, you can't come off the pitch. You're meant to be in full support. If if your player wants to walk off, back him. And now, like, how do you, how do you recover from that? I'm sure like, that must have left severe mental anchors, you know, in his head. And I just feel 
Like, I saw a tweet the other day that Nelson Mandela went to prison for 27 years for this. So how can you be saying walking off the pitch is too strong of an action and you're letting the racism win if you walk off? Like, I just, I think it's, it's outlandish in my point of view. Yeah, those scenes were some, uh, you know, the most disturbing I've ever seen. You know, when he scored the goal, he was pointing at his arm to say, you know what, I'm black and I'm proud. And those were powerful images, um, in my opinion. But just to echo what Dot said, like, how do you come back from that? Your teammates are, you know, trying to pull you and say, stay on the pitch. Football's more important than, you know, racism. And I thought that was a dismal message to be sending. And, you know, my full support is with Marega. And I hope you can come back from this because after that moment, you lose the full trust of your teammates. You know that if we go to war, these boys ain't with me. And, and that was, it was disgusting to see. I think you're dead right. I think the, the very essence of, of a team is that everybody's got each other's back and, if one of your guys is getting abused, if if one of your guys is is in trouble, is is suffering for whatever reason, you have his back. If and and I think the reaction to to any sort of racist abuse has to be has to be driven by the victim. And if Morega wants to walk off the pitch, his his teammates have got to say, look. This is your call. And they, they, they might not agree with it. They might not be what they would personally do. It might not be what they want him to do. But that's not their call to make. Mm. And, and I think footballers at all levels of the game need to, um, you know, of, of whatever race, need to, need to have a little bit of a think about this because we've seen all across the game at all levels that these sort of incidents are only increasing in number. And this is, this is going to pop up again. Something and 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 if you're a footballer and you have uh, a black player in your team or an Asian player or you know I've been I've, I've been I've been racially abused while playing football you know and and it might it might just be five aside but I I want to know that if I if I take the decision to walk off the pitch my teammates have, have got my back mm-hmm. so I think football is all around the world need to work out what they're going to do in that situation because these things are going to keep happening couldn't have said it any better myself. Okay, so moving on, I'm going to go straight into the EPL games um, of Saturday. Um, just to make it clear, this is a Sunday morning recording, so um, we will also touch on Atata and Ancelotti as they come to blows mm-hmm. later this afternoon, um, as well as discussing the Liverpool uh, preview for Monday Night Football as well. So just to go straight into the Chelsea and Spurs game, obviously you can see it was a 2-1 win by Chelsea um, a big win needed by Frank Lampard after the defeat to Manchester United um, it was a tough game but Lampard got the result in the end um, John you were at the game so how about you kick this one off yeah I mean it was a second time in a week really that Tottenham have lost by a single goal but it's felt it's felt like a huge amount more than that it was a 2-1 shooing really um, they they got a kind of a late, late consolation back through Rudiger's own goal uh, but the damage had, had been done. They 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 were 2-0 down after about I think 50 minutes. And I think I think they played far too reactively. Um they treated Chelsea, a team that coming off their own poor run, like they were sort of Brazil nineteen seventy or something. They sat very deep. Uh you know, Lucas who had been who had been leading the line for them uh in a lot of their, their previous games in the absence of Kane and Son, he was almost in a kind of a wide midfield role tracking back and helping a fullback out and Bergwijn was 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 the one who was who was the furthest up the pitch. Um I don't think it, I don't think it was a great performance from them. I think there's some there's there's still got a hangover from 
what happened on the under the the final months with Pochettino. There's a lack of confidence there. There's a lack of bravery in possession. Uh, too many of their players are are still kind of a shadow of of their best. And Chelsea, you know, it was a really it was a much better performance from them, especially after after what happened against United on Monday. Uh, it still wasn't the complete performance, which says quite a bit about about them as a team. They're still looking for that consistency. They went two 0 up, and then they sort of disappeared from from the last half hour, which um, for a game they dominated w- would have been quite a calamitous way to end it. Mm, I think the last two matches are um, indicative to the modern day Jose Mourinho. I just feel that this guy, for me, I've always said it, he's a blast from the past, in my opinion. I think in the last two games, we've seen his tactical limitations. He's not able to adapt a team when the focal point is out of the team. And you see with the modern day managers, Jurgen Klopp, um, Pep Guardiola, they've got the ability and the capability to change the team and make the team adapt to not having that you know central striker in the in the six yard box but I think I mean to, to steal some of the work from your piece actually on your match report um, you said up until 2-0 the percentage um, that Tottenham had in the game was 38% and again it's the same negative tactics that Jose Mourinho loves deploying and this Tottenham defence is a worry I don't know why they gave Elderwell with a new contract for me he's passed it for Tongan he looks like he's aging faster than ever. And I see this team, you know, struggling to defend. And I think they've had one clean sheet um, in their last 21 away games, which is just not good enough for a team like Tottenham. Yeah, to be honest, going into the game, there was a the whole, you know, master versus apprentice. You know, Mourinho came out and said, you know what, I want to fast forward until July. I haven't got my main tools, Son and Kane. Obviously, I think this season Kane scored maybe 17 goals and um, Son scored 16. And after that, you've got a big, you know, drop. But I don't think that's an excuse. I think Mourinho's whole attitude has been very defeatist. And this can spread onto your players because they're thinking, you know what, even if we don't really play well and we don't get a result, we haven't got the tools. And, you know, you just have to look at Burnley, for instance. They're missing Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes. What does Sean Dyche do? He finds Rodriguez and Vidra and they're putting in performance mm. and they're still winning. So I think Mourinho's using this as an excuse and, you know, there's still a lot to play for for the rest of the season. They've still got their second leg against Leipzig. They've still got FA Cup tie and they're fighting for top four. So I think his mood needs to be uplifted and he shouldn't be playing the victim card because when you look at Tottenham's resources, there's still enough to be very, very competitive for that top four. It's funny because like, although um, Spurs and Mourinho are in their embryonic um, stages of, of their development in terms of Mourinho coming in, I don't really see a style of play or a direction. What, what do you think with that, Dej? Yeah, we see that you know Mourinho or his players like to resort to the long ball. And it's like square pegs in round hole. You haven't got a figure up top that can hold the ball and bring other people into play. I know in January there was rumours of, you know, Piontek coming, who subsequently went to Herve Berlin. There was rumours of Olivier Giroud, who obviously scored against them. <laughs> so it's a bit funny. But I think if Mourinho is not happy with his t- tools that much, he might have to look into the free agent market. And, you know, seeing Diafra Sacco, I think he's available in the free. I'm not sure what you think about that. And, you know, Giuseppe Rossi, who's obviously been curtailed by some nasty um, knee injuries. Yeah, I mean, the the Spurs fans have been clamouring for, for Troy Parrott, the, the Irish yeah. teenager, to get to get a start. Uh, and he's I, he's not even featured on on the bench in the last few games, even though they're they're missing their two main strikers. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know if Parrot's any good. I don't I don't see him in training every day. Clearly, Mourinho has has his own ideas about the player. Um, 
but you can like it's possible to play without a traditional number yeah, nine yeah. like teams like the top teams at the elite end of European football have been doing it for years but you need to defend with with aggression you need to be able to to, to recycle the ball through midfield and I think Tottenham's problem and it, and it is it is one that predates Mourinho to be fair is that they have lacked the player who can who can get the ball off the defense and cycle it through the midfield recycle it intelligently pick the long ball pick the quick pick the quick counter uh since possibly Dembele left Sissoko's injury has hit them pretty hard mm. um They've lost, you know, they've lost Wanyama essentially. Uh, Dyer is not. Ericsson's gone as well. Ericsson has gone. Mm. Dyer is not not the player he was two Wait, or three so, years but ago. Wait, so but Johnny, but wasn't that why Ndombele was brought in to transition that ball in midfield? Yeah, exactly, that is why Ndombele was brought in. I think Lacelso, uh, who, who I, th- I think might have been signed to play further up the pitch, but Mourinho seems to like him in that in that deeper mm. role now. These are the players that can that can do that, but you then. That's right. You need a manager who is confident enough to to play. I mean, Mourinho has this thing called first station passes, where mm. you know the, the the player who comes deep to, to get the ball off the defence, and Mourinho has a big distrust of first station passes. He likes the ball out to the fullbacks. He likes the mm. ball spread up up the wings because that is where the least risk is, mm. and that's the sort of approach that has I, I think has, has been anathema to what Tottenham have been about the last few years. And sorry, Tony, like it's interesting because. You know, Dele Ali. everyone was talking about his re-emergence to form and saying that, oh, Dele Alli is back to his best. But in the past few weeks, Dele Alli has been shocking. And yesterday, it culminated being dropped by Jose Mourinho. I know, and there's a real lethargy when you look at Tottenham's style of play. You know, against Leipzig in midweek, it was just, you know, we're going to sit back. We're going to see what happens. And against Chelsea as well, Mourinho tried to play the mind game saying, oh, I know Frank's going to go back to a back five. If you know what Frank's going to do, you're meant to, it's your job as a manager to implement tactics to negate that. And just final point before we move on to the VAR drama. I just feel that, like, the thing is with Jose Mourinho, he's the only, let's say, quote unquote, elite manager that when he wins when he wins a big game, he has to get lucky to win that game. He's not capable of dropping a tactical masterclass anymore. We saw with the Man City Tottenham game, he rid his luck and eventually he got lucky and he won the game. Well, it seems Mourinho and Tottenham are stealing all the headlines <laughs> for, for, for this specific game. Just to quickly shift it on to Chelsea very, very quickly. Um, Lampard in particular has he missed a trick by not featuring Giroud enough? Of course. Yeah, the simple answer is yes. I mean, Tammy Abraham, this is his first season in elite football. So his minutes need to be managed. When you look at Olivier Giroud, you know, he's always done a job wherever he's been. You know, whether that's been Arsenal, you know, he's come onto the pitch and delivered where the moments matter. He's the sort of player that you can build from. When you look at what Tottenham's missing, it's a sort of, you know, Olivier Giroud, he can link the play and he's got a goal in him. And I just think, um, you know, to go into the game furthermore, I think, you know, this Chelsea team, whenever they need a big performance, they always seem to deliver it under Frank Lampard. He made, you know, some bold choices, you know, bringing in Mason Mount, Barkley. Yeah, Mason Mount had a good game. Yeah, so Terrific all the people game. that he brought in actually played well. So that, you could see in Frank Lampard's, body language after the game was very you know this means a lot to me because this has been probably the first time in his Chelsea spell where you know he's come under you know a bit of pressure and you know he had to, he, he delivered if we're being honest yeah I think it was a terrific performance from Chelsea I think that's the thing about Olivier Giroud he's reliable when you play him you know what he's going to do and you know what he brings to the table and I think from when Hazard said this is one of the best you know linkmen I've ever played with I think 
Frank Lampard has showed his inexperience. So the way he's managed the situation has been poor for me. Just to round up, um, we'll just quickly speak about the VAR drama as it continues to rear its ugly head again. Just to quickly summarise, um, Le Celso put in a nasty challenge. Um, who did he stamp? He stamped... Aspi Yes, Aspi um, VAR reviewed it. And they deemed it as no serious foul play. But then eventually, during the game, they came out and said the decision was wrong and that he should have been sent off. John, uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. Go straight to John on this one. I mean, this, it was bizarre. I, we, the, the news sort of started filtering through after the game, like immediately after the game had finished, that Stockley Park had actually got... I don't know, what, did they, you press the wrong button? on the, this, this actually happened during a... They actually said it wasn't a system error, it was a human error. Somebody just saying the wrong wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, so so they literally said it's the person who made the decision that got it wrong. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's farcical because you had a, a you had a referee and Michael Oliver there, a perfectly perfectly you know, decent referee standing there who is who is basically discouraged from going to the the side of the pitch. The the guidance is that you know referees should should not be looking, you know, looking at the monitors at the side of the pitch. So he's he's standing there essentially for two or three minutes while the guys in Stockley Park are watching the footage, watching it back, you know, rewinding it, playing it again, playing it from another angle, playing it slower, and then coming up with the wrong decision and getting it totally wrong. <laughs> Meanwhile, the referee's just like, right, well, uh, okay, that seems to have happened. And uh, I, I think there's there's a real there's a real crisis of authority. Uh, I think when when VAR was brought in, everybody wanted it to work. There were there was, I think, a, 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 an acknowledgement that there were going to be some teething problems, um, that it might take a bit of time to get the right decision. But managers, players, especially the media, wanted it to, you know, there's nothing that we hate less, that, that, that we like less in the media than having to dissect VAR for five or six minutes or sit there and, and not watch football. Um so I think it's lost a lot of authority, and I think players and and like a lot of people in the game and fans, most importantly, will have lost a lot of faith in the system. Yeah, it's funny because VAR for me has been like a walking oxymoron. I mean, it's getting the minor decisions right in terms of the millimeter or side decisions, but it's dropping massive clangers when it comes to red cards. And let's call a spade a spade. It hasn't worked out. Yeah, I think David Coote was, you know, the VAR assistant working at Stockley Park and he's had a clangor, let's be honest. And he had raises... one job, <laughs> literally one job. And he then he had another on... job later and <laughs> had another clangor. He must have been on his lunch break or not concentrating. <laughs> and, and also it raises the question, you know, whether, you know, he didn't want to overrule a senior, you know, referee because as they were saying, Michael Oliver is a confident referee. He believes in his decision. Mm. And, you know, David Coote's just started in Premier League management or refereeing, should I say. So he might have thought, you know, mm, I don't want to overrule this because, you know, it might have an impact on Michael and maybe there was a, you know, a relationship to protect there as well. Yeah, I mean, that the word oxymoron is, is a very good one. It, this is a, a system that was supposed to minimise human mm. error. Mm. But first of all, you, you know, it, 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 you can't ever minimise human error because the system is devised and implemented by humans. But also it seems in some cases to have exacerbated it because you now have conflicting motivations you have even conflicting rules uh and and rules that have been been bent and, and changed where to the point where they don't make as much sense as they used to so <laughs> so yeah they, they've 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 messed it up really. and also i saw kevin friend looking directly at the incident in live you know live shot and 
he could have surely told the referee that you know what red card but I'm so sure we can go on about VAR <laughs> yeah. for another 30 minutes but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that bad but yeah moving straight on to the next big game um, it was the evening kickoff Leicester against Man City Brendan Rodgers against Pep Guardiola um, just to touch on that game it was a fiercely fought 1-0 win uh, by Man City some big chances in the game in particular Jamie Vardy who hit the post could have been a completely different game had that went in but you know football it's fine lines um, Dej what, what, what's your take on this on this game yeah the battle for second place you know the battle to be the bridesmaids of the Premier League season <laughs> and you know obviously ultimately Manchester City um, won the game but Leicester coming into this game, they've been in, you know, a poor run of form and I've raised question marks over Brendan Rodgers on this platform before. I think he's a good manager, but when he was in his run, you know, of winning eight games in a row, everyone was saying he's the best manager since sliced bread. But I believe he's a confidence manager. And to be fair to them, it was a change of tactics. We know all of their three midfield enforcers were out, you know, Napolis Mendy, Wilfred Ndidi and Hamza Chowdhury. Mm-hmm. So they had to play, you know, a different formation, which they had teething issues. And I think it worked. You think so? Yeah, yeah. Especially I, in the first half, I think it worked to the T. I think normally a good sign of gauging whether Leicester's system is working is um, Chagla, Sonia Chu. I thought at times during the game, it was a bit ragged. You could see that it wasn't in tune. And even for the goal, you know, uh, Mares had a long time to run, and you just yeah. But I think I think that was due to them getting tired throughout the game. I think for sixty minutes, the tactics really worked. I think they blocked the space in the middle, no, and Man City goal, were struggling to create openings for that goal in particular. You could imagine, even indeed he was there. I think he gets snuffed out. I think he gets strangled at birth. I opinion. think that goal was Chilwell's fault. I think it was really, really bad defending. He just, you know, shown Mares onto his stronger foot, and that just doesn't make sense in my opinion. Yeah, but um, indeed it offers that two v one protection, which he didn't get throughout the game because Dennis Pratt, Tillemans, and Madison, you know, they haven't got that defensive mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't, I don't see a huge crisis at Leicester. I think what 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 happened over the um over the autumn is that. I mean, if if you you get out of fundamentals, Leicester are probably like the fourth or fifth best team in in the Premier League. Taking taking the season as a whole, uh, what happened in, in the autumn is they got they got a bit of luck. They got on, they got on a run. Uh, they got a quite a kind run of fixtures, and I think people hyped them up as a, you know possibly even title contenders, <laughs> yeah. which, which mm-hmm. is always a bit silly. And now they now they've slipped back a little bit. They're still an extremely good side, um, but I, you know the. They've they've just kind of regressed the mean a little bit, and and you know that's not a crisis. That's just that's just you know the way the the, the crookie crumble sometimes. Yeah, because that that game was an interesting watch because I was really taking a close look at him, James Madison, who's you know tipped to be in the next England squad and you know go to the Euros, but my binoculars were out. I couldn't I couldn't see him because I feel <laughs> he he went missing, and these are the you know concerns that probably Southgate has at the moment that when it comes to the big games, where's James Madison? But, but and to be fair, him... for around one or two months, he's been missing. Yeah, but for that game, he had to play a different role. He had yeah, to but have I expect him to on. be showing for the ball. And that's the difference I see between him and Grealish. Grealish may be quiet, but he always gets involved in the game, whereas Madison can go missing in action, in my opinion. Yeah, we've seen that in a few big games. But to be fair to him, I remember Chelsea away. He did stand up. He was just missing that cutthroat moment. But also, I just want to pay homage to um, Gabriel Jesus. You know, he's in some quarters, he's spoken about as not being enough to take Man City or being the heir to Sergio Aguero's um, throne. But this is a man that's um, fifth on the um, record for minutes per ratio goals behind Aguero, Kane, Henry and Salah. 
And that's not bad for someone that people say mm. can't actually finish. It's only 22. 22 years of age. In the next two years. I think Gabriel Jesus is a weird one because I think Pep's reservation is that in the big moments, sometimes he misses a bit too much. But for I'd me, like he's doing a great job. He's, he's still 22. young. In the next two years, he could be putting all of those away and mm. getting 30 goals plus the season. I agree. He's better than Firmino for me. I think, he's walk- <laughs> I think he'd walk into any team. In wow. You think Premier he's League. better than Firmino? I think so, yeah. Wow. You're, you're on a desk full of Liverpool support. <laughs> it's funny you said that because I actually think he did cost Brazil um, the, was it the Copa? When oh, they kept starting his head of Firmino. I think it was Cup, I but believe the, the last not the one that they just won I think the one previous yeah, I think Firmino has well. a more better impact on an overall team than Jesus does he may have more of an isolated impact but I think mm. Firmino would have more of a team impact if I he can, plays for I can go with that yeah yeah I think it's it depends what you like do you like goals or do mm. you like that general exactly, you know yeah. contribution no, no, exactly. in a system like Liverpool isolated yeah, impact, it's true, yeah. yeah and just touching on Pep Guardiola as well um, he came out with comments this week that you know even if Man City got demoted to League 2 he's staying at the club which he's pretty much saying he's staying at Man City regardless of the situation I'd, I'd love to see that by the way <laughs> <laughs> he's only saying it because he knows it won't happen yeah, yeah, yeah of course going of course. away to Exeter and yeah. you know um, Morecambe so, so is Pep Guardiola just trying to save face yeah, I think at the end of the season I think or? he's saving face um, whether he's going to leave at the end of the season I don't think his decision's been made up um, he's a man of honour so of course he's going to come out fighting what kind of message would it send to the players if he says you know what I may leave at the end of the season and I think it's like a rallying call um, and the players have you know responded well to it so it was a good win for Man City yesterday I don't think they're entirely in great form because I think Real Madrid are going to pick them off in the Champions League. And one small concern yesterday was the form of Laporte. I know he's coming back from a long-term nasty injury, but he looked very, very rusty. And Pep Guardiola recently has been subbing enough to, you know, save his legs. But I think yesterday there was a juxtaposition because he was subbed off due to a bad performance, in my opinion. Yeah, and, you know, Pep Guardiola, he's trying to create a siege mentality after, obviously, this bad week that they've had. And, you know, they haven't conceded a goal. You know, they had a routine win against West Ham and, you know, beating Leicester to consolidate that second position. And, you know, this week's a big week for them because if that impending ban goes through, you never know when they're going to get another opportunity to win the Champions League. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I I make Real Madrid favourites for that tie but marginally so. It's funny because that was their first clean sheet. I mean, first back-to-back clean sheet since October 2019. And Leicester now have two wins in their last 11 games. Okay. Not good. So we'll see what happens with Man City this week, as I'm sure a lot of eyes will be on them. But moving straight into the Burnley and Bournemouth game. Um, again, VAR raises its ugly head. So we, we've just given VAR bashing. So if you want to bring it down just a bit, we don't have to talk about VAR too much this okay. time as we've already given it a bashing. However, the isolated incidents, two major incidents on this occasion, of course, Bournemouth, um, they initially went 1-0 up, but apparently it was ruled out for VAR as they apparently said it hit his shoulder, um, his arm, should I say, yeah. but it did look like a clear shoulder and it should be clear and obvious. So we thought that goal should have stood. It's a shocking decision in my opinion. And also Burnley then went um, one new up. Mm. Bournemouth again equalised, but the isolated incident was shoulder slash arm again, <laughs> not clear and obvious. They mm. went up and equalised. Goal got chalked out by VAR. They were given a penalty 
2-0 how the hell do you come back from that it's funny because that you know I'm just going to go on a bit of a tangent I think Dej wants to analyse the game but I think at um, 3pm I was watching Gillette Soccer Saturday and then I saw the controversy and I called Dej and I was like Dej I bet you any money the referee in charge is Mike Dean <laughs> and yeah. I, I was scared of Mike Dean a few weeks ago and I said he always wants to be in the centre of the attention and he's the only referee in the Premier League that will overturn a goal and give a penny. Yeah, to be honest, they were both, you know, I think the second one was a handball in my it opinion. Wasn't. I think he moved his arm towards the ball. I think the first one, when it hit Philip Billing's shoulder, I think that should have been given as a, you know, a goal, to be honest. But analysing the game, I think VAR has the ability to affect people's emotions because you go from a high of equalising or scoring and to a low of, you know, not getting the decision against you. And when you're a team in a precarious position like Bournemouth, confidence is very fragile. And we saw that ruin them, to be honest. But um, yeah, from a Burnley point of view, I think onwards and upwards, this is a team that were, you know, struggling but they seem to be getting, you know, results that mm-hmm. leave them in the hunt for European football and they've booked their, you know, next season in the Premier League. And it's funny because, like, I was sad for Bournemouth because you saw, like, Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall looking like forlorn figures on the side and it's not nice to see. Yes. The, the, thing about, the thing about VAR and is that, well, the thing about these sorts of decisions, they are potentially, like, absolutely pivotal. That mm-hmm. is, it's not, if, if, if Bournemouth go down by a point or they go down on goal difference, that decision is is historic in 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 the, the life of Bournemouth FC they, they get relegated they might not ever come back to the Premier League those those are the sort of margins okay so just going to quickly go over to Selhurst Park now um it was a hard-fought win by Roy Hodgson's uh, Palace 1-0 win I think they've scored the least in the Premier League so they managed to get a goal and it resulted in a win so that's they needed that, that man scored. that was the first win of the year for them yeah indeed it was um, Dej why don't you take us away on that game yeah much needed win as we've mentioned there's been a lot of limbo surrounding you know Crystal Palace everyone's been wondering is Roy Hodgson going to get his new contract Steve Parrish came out this week and said they've offered him one and I think the boys put in a performance to show that you know what they're behind him it was full of energy passion and we just have to highlight Andre Ayew I thought it was absolutely brilliant you know, Zahar was running them ragged, mm. you know, getting the defenders sent off in the 90th minute. So I think that's what Palace are about. When you think about Palace at their best, you think of the front three players causing havoc. And even though Christian Benteke didn't get a goal, you could see that his confidence is restoring. But, you know, from a, a Newcastle perspective, I think it makes for a bit of grim reading. You know, the attackers can't score. You know, Holt Jolinton, I just want to highlight him. This is a player, you know, that's he's struggling. And it's funny because we know a football intermediary that actually works with him. And he said that, you know, last season he was on loan at like an Austrian club mm-hmm. and he was living in like a two-bed apartment, you know. And this is a boy from the Favelas and he's moved to Newcastle and his life has just changed. And people from the outside don't actually recognise mm-hmm. that it's a big, big seismic shift and you know he's brought in he's actually brought in his parents to come and live with him to help him settle in and his English isn't great but he's loving the Premier League but his on-pitch performances it's tough though Dej it's really really tough like Newcastle attack with one player all the time yeah but to be fair I think when I look at him particularly last week against Arsenal he wasn't doing the basics bring it down bring your players into play and I think once you're not doing that you're not giving yourself a chance. I look at the striker at Aston Villa. Samata. Yeah, Samata. Oh, Samata. 
you know, he does the basics well. He gives these players a chance to get up further on the pitch. And you could see during the game, Steve Bruce talking to Steve Clements and Steve Agnew saying, what do I do here? And after the game, Bruce came out and said, he's going to have to ring the changes because it's clearly not working. Okay. Thank you for that, Dedge. Moving over to the Saints and Villa game, the Hassan Hootful train marches on. Um, another 2-0 win with Villa. Um, Villa during a dire state at the yeah. moment. Relegation is looking very, very, very likely. The manager even came out and said, you know, his hand, <laughs> his hand has been forced to make changes for the League Cup final where some players are just not fit for purpose. Yeah, they played, their way, yeah, they played the... their way out of the final, which is damning, damning yeah. stuff. Doc, take us away on this game. Yeah, Dean Smith looked vacant. I mean, I think this is like the third time this season that he's come out and, you know, smashed these players to pieces and he hasn't got a response. But, what I would say is that Aston Villa are really bad. Um, the XG yesterday was 0.24, um, which is really, really low. That's not even a big chance throughout the course of the game. And, I mean, they had four shots against Southampton. That's the lowest Southampton have faced all season. And I think I think they've booked their ticket into the championship now. I think they're going to go. And I think Southampton have booked their ticket into the Premier League next season. Um they just allow too many shots uh, faced against them. Yeah, they can't Villa. defend. And to be fair, I know a few people on this table are massive fans of Tyrone Mings, but I'm not entirely convinced on him. To be fair, he's just come back from, you know, tonsillitis and apparently they have to give him like a potent medicine to be able to play the game. And obviously, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be fully fit. Like We have to remember that football. Yeah, but I'm judging even... throughout the course of the season. When I watch him, when he plays against someone that's, nippy and shifty he always loses the 50 50s and on two occasions yesterday he was found wanting and for me i don't think he's a top level center back i was having a good look at pepperino as well he seems he's moving a bit erratic (laughs) (laughs) Um, the second goal he came out for the corner and that was was a counter and pepperino was in absolutely no man's land you know the perfect description he was running like he was towing a caravan he was actually jogging back he, he yeah. couldn't even run and it was just an open goal it was, it was easy but I mean, yeah, the 37 year old aging limbs you know <laughs> but just last point on the game there's only three teams that can see the goal like that that's Aston Villa Norwich and Bournemouth that's why these three teams are in trouble it's as simple as that oh man just it's good to end on a funny note for that one. And just last game of Saturday was uh, Sheffield United and Brighton. It was a hardly contested 1-1 draw. Um, Chris Wilder, obviously, he's going to be having his eyes on that fifth spot, um, which could mean history for the club. It already is history for the club where they are at the moment. But um, yeah, John, how about you take us away on that final game? Yeah, I mean, a huge, huge point for Brighton first thing. But uh, I think, you know, a lot of neutrals uh, want to see Sheffield United you know, put up a really good fight for possibly, you know, Europa League football, possibly even the Champions League, especially if, if uh, you know, Manchester City get, get uh, banned from next season's competition. The the thing is, as well as they played and, you know, they had slightly the better of this game, they, they still don't quite score enough goals at home. And I, I think it's something like, they average something like a, a goal a game at home. And when... You're, you're struggling like that to put away your chances or create chances. You're always going to be vulnerable to the sucker punch, and mm. that's kind of that's kind of what they got. Mm. And, and you know, as they go into the last 10, 12 games, that's going to be the really big issue for them. Where where are their their, their goals going to come from at home? Okay, thank you for that. So, of course, as we know, this is a Sunday morning recording, so we are going to quickly have a deep dive on Atata and Ancelotti as they come to blows to 
today, this afternoon, um, Everton versus Arsenal. So, it's, you know, Ancelotti and Arteta, they've both had mixed starts to the league. Arteta's had a stronger start. No, should I say Ancelotti's had a stronger start. Arteta's mm-hmm. had a few draws. But I would say Arteta's had the stronger performances. Yeah, okay, agreed. That's up for debate. It's, I would just say because Everton's uh, performances have been improved as well but of course Arsenal will be buzzing after their 4-0 win um, to Newcastle so I'm guessing both clubs will be looking to take points from this game and both managers will see it as an opportunity to impose themselves on mm-hmm. each other so um, John how about you start with this one yeah I mean I, th- I think Arsenal will be looking for an- another another big performance there's definitely a, a, a direction of travel there Uh there was there was this phase where they just couldn't stop drawing whatever they tried, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> against against uh, Newcastle last Sunday, it all it all seemed to come together a little bit. Four four nil might have flattered them a little bit, but mm. that was that's the sort of performance that gives the team confidence. And if the dressing room is right, if the momentum, if the feeling of momentum is is good, then that's the sort of result that a team builds on. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see if, if that actually if that actually does happen against Everton. Yeah, it's interesting because you know there was the old jokes going around on around Arteta saying you know he must be an artist because he loves to draw and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But um, to be honest, there's different ways in assessing a manager's impact. You can talk about results and you can talk about performance. We have to say they've been getting away with some howlers of performances. Watford away was a perfect point in case. Whereas with Arteta, there's been the performances, but not quite the results to match. But if we're assessing both of the managers' impacts, we have to say, you know, Ancelotti's done a a better job, you know, from what we can see, because he's taken them from relegation obscurity in with a chance to, you know, compete for the Champions League and Europa League places. I agree with that, Dej, but that only takes like four results now. That's how tight and mm. congested this, this table is this season. Yeah, and given the amount that they've that they spent and mm. the talent in that squad, they shouldn't they shouldn't ever have been anywhere near the bottom three. It sh- it should take you know any any manager worth his salt should have been able to to get a tune out of that squad. Mm. And it, it says quite a bit about Marco Silva and, and Duncan Ferguson after him that that they couldn't. Ancelotti is, is clearly a very uh, garlanded uh, and successful manager, uh, and he's doing a good job there. Yeah, and he, he's managed to get, you know, a tune out of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Mm-hmm. This was a player that I wasn't sure whether he was cut for that, you know, top seven, top eight in the Premier League. And he's putting in consistent runs of performances. So credit to Ancelotti for tapping into his ability. And just a quick final point on Arsenal. I really like what Arteta is doing. I think the implementation of Saka at left back really shows that he's a forward thinking manager and you're starting to see small improvements in the form of Nicolas Pepe and we've seen Arteta work wonders with Sane and Raheem Sterling at Man City so I expect him to do the same with Nicolas Pepe. Okay thank you boys and lastly just to touch on Saka again he came out and said you know he wants to be a left winger slash left midfielder obviously he's playing that left back at the moment does he follow Tata's leader Tata might want him to be one of the best left backs in in football or is he eventually going to move him forward into a more offensive position it's interesting because I heard um, Danny Mills make some comments on Sky the other day and he was saying that you know he's not yet convinced on Saka but I think you're a left back and you've got eight assists this season. I think that's an amazing return. And he's only 19. He's still learning. 
Yeah, I think as a youngster, it's better to learn, you know, playing in different positions while you're young, while you sort of figure yourself out. And that's what Saka's doing. For me, the more pressing concern is, you know, like Rio Ferdinand said, you know, put the contract in front of him, <laughs> say whatever terms you want and sign that contract because he's a special, special talent. And if they don't, you know, sort out his contract, you know, one of the other big boys are going to be, you know, sniffing around. Okay. So now we're going to move on quickly to the Monday Night Football, which is a quick preview on that. Um, Liverpool versus West Ham. West Ham, of course, they've just had a defeat to uh, Man City. And again, if results stay otherwise, it's looking like another defeat for them again today um, on Monday. Um, Liverpool, of course, Champions League excursions in Madrid. They lost 1-0, failed to register a shot on target. Um, you know, it was a tough, tough, tough game for them. So how did they respond? Normal services resume. John, how about you take us away with this one? Oh, it's kind of unfair, really, isn't it? This, this like making Liverpool play West Ham in the Premier League. It's sort of, <laughs> it's not, I mean, people talk, people talk about it as the greatest league in the world. It's, 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 it's very, it's extremely unfair. I mean, maybe I'll be made to eat my words. Maybe West Ham will pull off one of the greatest shocks and, and, and win at Anfield for the first time. So, you know, um, in God knows how when, you know, how long, and uh, you know, end the champ, you know, end the champions elect unbeaten record at Anfield. Frankly, I, I doubt it. Uh, I think we saw against Manchester City uh, the approach that that we can expect from them. Uh, it's going to be, I think it's it's going to be ugly, and and mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're going to see a West Ham side of such painfully limited ambition, um, because I mean. The, the way that David Moyes talked after the City game, he said, oh, I've targeted this fixture, this fixture, this fixture. Uh, and I'm like, oh, right, well, you know, the, 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 we barely even need to turn up then. That's, uh, we, we, we can all go home if, you, if you've mapped out the season already. The, 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 the first rule, like the, the, the ground, the ground stone for every manager is like you go out there and you, you try and win every game like it's, like it's your last game. And, and in the Premier League, it, it very often you know for a manager it can be your last game it it's um i, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit naive uh i i don't i know i'm sort of condemning david moyes for something he hasn't done yet but i <laughs> if west ham go out in a sort of a bielsa style 3-3-1-3 and try and take the game to liverpool and fly up the wings then then i, I will eat my words but um yeah, I can only really see this so going wait, one way. Wait, so Johnny, just to interject, what's your take on West Ham? Because I remember you describing them as, you know, being run like a fruit store. So can you just like clarify what you meant by that? And what yeah. do you, what's, what's your take on the club? I mean, I, I struggle to think of a club of that size or, or a big club. And West Ham still likes to think of itself as a big club. Mm. A big club in England that is run worse. It's... The, the the decisions that have been made at the very highest level over the last few years are are the sort of decisions that are totally dysfunctional. There's no coherence. There's no direction. You have owners that are, are seemingly so sensitive to criticism that they're going to ban <laughs> a fan from wearing like a Golden <laughs> Sullivan Out t-shirt, ban them from the ground and uh, take away his season ticket. I think he's now been reinstated. Okay. Uh, but um, are totally resistant to the criticism that, I don't know, maybe they shouldn't have just fired their into the entire scouting net or, or let, let the entire um, you know, backroom staff go when Pellegrini left. Um, there's a, I mean, I think I wrote this when, um, when David Moyes was appointed. If David Moyes is the answer and then Pellegrini 
and then made the noise again. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> it's uh, it, yeah. So that, that that's what I mean when I when I. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the club make it, it still generates huge amounts of revenue. It's a Premier League club in London. They got given a stadium for for tuppence, uh, and and pay pay a very small rent on it. Mm. They, this is this is a club that have all the breaks and and yet are still flirting with relegation <laughs> to the championship. Are, are still signing dross. Uh, and I don't know if I were a West Ham fan, I would I would be pretty angry about it too because this is a club that can do so much better and and should be doing so much better and is is being held in neutral. Yeah, I think West Ham as a club, you know, just to buttress on what you said, you know, they run like a shamble from <laughs> top to bottom. I mean, David Gold and David Sullivan, they're more interested in their perception and how they're seen. And we could only see that this week, you know, David Gold getting embroiled in an incident on Twitter. You know, apparently he liked to tweet relating to, you know, a celebrity that just died recently. Then he got caught, put his hands up you know, for once saying that, you know, I made a mistake and I'm going to donate some money to charity. But I think these are all the, your owners aren't meant to be getting involved in this sort of thing. And it's just, it's sad to see because West Ham, their club, I like them. They're, you know, they've got history, but you know, the owners are letting them down and we're seeing this seep in to, you know, performances. And as you mentioned, you know, when Pellegrini was sacked, you know, they also sacked Mario Hosilas, who was his sporting director, who made the signings, you know, Roberto was one of the signings, just to, you know, we've given him a lot of airtime on this podcast, but yeah, I just think, yeah, West Ham, they're on a downward trajectory and, you know, they're running. Like when I speak to West Ham fans, they say, you know what, we're in a, we're in a mess here and they've got the players, but something's just missing. Yeah. And just to, you know, piggy bank off of your point, Johnny, and their job point, I just, this is a club that are in a mess and, I can't see any way out of it for them. I just feel that the confidence is gone. I watched the game in midweek against Man City and there was no heart. There was no passion. The only player that played well was Declan Rice and he kept winning the ball and then he had no options to pass it to and then he'll just give it back to Man City. Zero shots on target. And they played that game like they were in pre-season. So for me, this season's going to culminate in sweet relegation for West Ham and I'll be making bets with people. <laughs> yeah, just from a Liverpool perspective as well, I don't think we touched on them. You know, midweek in the Champions League, that was tough, that was brutal, but that's high-level football. I mean, people are talking about, you know, Simeone using dark arts, but I've got no problem with that. You know Liverpool's strengths and your job as a manager is to make tactics to try and negate that and that's what he done effectively it's funny that sorry just to interject like a lot of Liverpool fans were saying oh you know Atletico Madrid are cheaters um, Simeone loves the dark arts but Liverpool fans wasn't complaining when Liverpool were deploying those tactics to Tottenham in the Champions League final and also I think this is a wider discussion regarding the winter break I think the winter break was positioned in a way where it doesn't actually do the Premier League team's favours in terms of not being able to get in a full run of form leading to the European Games. And I think, did that play a part? Maybe. Also, I find it. I find the criticism a little bit naive, almost. I mean, you're playing Atletico Madrid in the, you know, in the Wanda Metropolitano in, uh, in the Champions League. Literally, what were you expecting to do? To, 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 to just sort of you know to get up as, as soon as they would totally stay on their feet and and uh you know play play sort of expansive 4-3-3 with with, with wingers I, you know it's when you go to Atletico you know what you're getting mm, and Liverpool weren't prepared and they got caught cold mm, okay 
Thank you, boys. So just before we round up, we're just going to quickly finish up with our favourite segment, uh, Prospect of the Week. Um, now, for our current listeners, they're well aware what Prospect of the Week is, but for our new listeners, which we hope to be getting weekly, <laughs> um, Prospect of the Week is not a good thing. It is not a good thing. Prospect of the Week is literally a seasoned pro acting or behaving as if it's his first time on the scene. This can be a club, a player, a ref. It can be VAR. It can be anything you like it to be. But it's ultimately a seasoned pro that is behaving like it's their first time on the scene. It's their first time at the job doing what they do. Dot, take us away. Yeah, this was um, an interesting one because I was thinking and I couldn't really think of any players or managers. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take it off the field and the game at Stamford Bridge um, Chelsea were taking the game to Tottenham um, they were 2-0 up um, and the Chelsea decides to you know stud a player and you know and then he snapped his ankle and VAR came to the conclusion that it wasn't a red card and the man that was managing the VAR was um, David Coote um, this is a man that I think has managed 28 Premier League games but it didn't end there um, he had a break, <laughs> probably took a nap during the day and said, you know what, I'm going to come back a bit later and I'm going to have the performance of my life. <laughs> Comes back, um, is on the game for, you know, um, Leicester versus Manchester City. And there was a free kick um, for Leicester. I'm not sure if you guys have yeah, seen it. Yeah. Um, James Madison steps up. And Kevin De Bruyne decides to just, you know, put his hands in the air. Unnatural. Yeah. Unnatural. Um, no penalty given and I couldn't believe it if there was ever a symbol to show what a penalty for handball is that was it and they said no penalty and the reason why was um, Kevin De Bruyne's hands were in a natural position covering his face which was baffling because they yeah, gave we a penalty around with our hands covering our face <laughs> extremely natural and that was baffling because a penalty was given later on in the game for Pratt who done exactly the same thing so David Coote I'm not sure if you're still in Stockley Park <laughs> but if you're listening you're my prospect of the week <laughs> um, yeah I'm going to go for um, a manager who's had a bit of a rotten week I mean, you know, last week, Sunday, you know, one of these players scored a last minute winner to bail them out and, you know, seemingly put them in the ascendancy. But this week's been a rotten week for them. You know, they had a Champions League game midweek, you know, and they basically said to the opposition, you know what, take us to the sword. You're playing away, but this is your home ground. Do what you want with us. Attack us at will. You know, we're just going to try and scrape away with, you know, uh, a decent result. But... Then we saw yesterday, you know, they played away at um, Stamford Bridge. Same old tactics, reactive, pedantic, no idea, no philosophy. Pedestrian. Lost. And, you know, the manager came out again and was repeating himself <laughs> after what he said in midweek that, you know what, I just want to fast forward to July. We haven't got the tools. We're like a gun with no, you know, bullets or something <laughs> like that. And I think this defeatist approach is just thinking out the joint at the team that he's managing. He's been a manager that's had a lot of success. I think he won his first Champions League in 2004. He's won other Champions League as well. But I think he's a manager that's probably coming towards, you know, the end of his tether. So if you're listening, Jose Mourinho, <laughs> you're the prospect of the week. <laughs> John, of course, you're making your debut for prospect of the week. Take, take us away. 
Uh, oh gosh, right. Well, I, I suppose if you if you look at the big story of the week, um, certainly off off the field, uh, you're looking at the UEFA's verdict on on Manchester City uh, and the sort of the, the continuing fallout from that. And this week, the chief executive uh, came came out and and gave a, gave one of those very soft focus. I don't know if you saw the the interview that he, that he did with the club's in house media channel. It was very soft focus, very sort of easy easy questions like, oh, so uh, you know, what what is a what is a financial fair play and, and uh, how how are we are we supposed to have fallen foul? And what's the club's response to it? You know, I mean, I, this is like this is not. Jeremy Paxman, it, it was not, uh, and so this guy comes out, and you know, the situation is extremely febrile. Uh, Manchester City fans, especially, feel like a very, very strong sense of grievance. They feel this whole process is, is illegitimate, and you know, to to come out and essentially say that this, we don't believe this is about justice. This is about politics. Thereby, trying to discredit this entire process, mm. to discredit the legislative, the adjudicatory. Uh, sorry, the the legislative chamber at UEFA that is, by the way, you know, it is composed of independent judges, um, and essentially to try and to to adopt a almost a very Trumpian approach to, the, to this entire affair. You're always on the attack. You're always trying to discredit. You're always trying to, you know, always try to sort of delegitimize any process that's been taken against you. Um, Ferran Soriano, you are. Uh, you are my, my <laughs> prospect of the week, and, and yeah. you can come and accept your award whenever you like. You I didn't hold back with that one. I knew Johnny would love that segment. I knew it. I knew it. That was very, Johnny very well. wasn't pulling any punches there. <laughs> this Thank you very much, boys, for delivering the final knockout blow. Delivering your prospects of the week. Um, of course, if you have your own prospects of the week, please at us. Um, just to round up, please follow the Twitter at podcast underscore tbg. If you're not following, get following. If you want to, you know, follow all things TBG, we always tweet away. So you can hit us up there with the hashtag, hashtag TBG pod. Also Instagram, if you're on Insta, give us a follow pod underscore TBG. Also, please give all episodes five star reviews. You can hit us up on Apple Podcasts. We don't discriminate on all platforms, Apple, Spotify, soundcloud leave us a five-star review if you're listening on apple and give us a comment on apple as well um thank you very much for listening hope you enjoyed the episode um peace Tony, well done man that was yeah, sick that was thanks, a clinic man. you yeah. put thanks, on a man. clinic yeah, man thank you very much boys man also thanks to our special guest as well jonathan lou it was great having you on Real uh, privilege. The, insight. the insight is amazing <laughs> as as usual we're used to watching you on the sunday supplement and so you know more of the same than <laughs> bring that first time to the podcast was, was amazing it's so. crazy because just sorry is one final point is that when i used to watch sunday supplement i never ever thought i'll be meeting so many people that go to sunday <laughs> yeah, supplement exactly. and now i just talk yeah. football with them all the time yeah it's, it's, it's living lovely, the dream man. as they say Literally, <laughs> it's crazy definitely definitely so oh, yeah th- thanks so, thanks for having me uh and, and like good luck to you guys as, as you try and build your podcast um like really 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 great to support you guys Thank you very much. Thank Thank you very much, guys. Over and out. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. 
Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boland Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boland Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 